Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. One of the things that that surprises me the most after being in the medical device industry for almost 20 years is the number of companies that still are not prepared for an FDA inspection. Bottom line, if you're selling medical devices into the United States, you should expect and anticipate that you will be inspected by FDA. Now, the good news is everything that you need to know for an FDA inspection is well publicized, it's readily available, and it's, it's free of charge, so you can definitely find that information pretty easily. The other thing that we get into in this podcast episode is sharing some of the lessons uh, from others uh, who have maybe didn't have such good experiences with FDA inspections. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is John Spear, your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.Guru, and welcome. Today, we're going to talk about uh, an interesting topic. Um, I don't know if you put it in the category of exciting, but certainly one that all medical device companies need to be aware of. And we're going to talk about lessons to be learned from recent FDA inspections. Joining me on this discussion this morning is Mike Drews. Good morning. Good morning, John. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with you and your audience. I look forward to our discussion. Yeah, and I think we have some good, good, things to talk about on this this particular topic today. I want to start it off by saying, you know, I think sometimes that elusive or, or mythical FDA inspection that I think, you know, sometimes companies are like, ah, that's probably not really going to happen. Folks, I want you to, to realize if you're a medical device company uh, selling products in the United States, especially class two, class three devices, uh, you need to be, you need anticipate that FDA will be there. Uh, may not be tomorrow, but but you need to be ready for that at all times because you know it's it's very clear that FDA inspections. There's a lot of data to support this. There there are they are on the rise. They are increasing. FDA. This is the way that they really uh, ensure that companies are staying compliant. So you know there's probably you can you can read the news. Uh, you can turn on the TV. You can hear about all these. You know some of the really big, big examples from time to time, and while those are interesting, you know, sometimes you don't get a lot of lessons from those. But I think there are some really recent examples, Mike, that that have come up uh, in the press recently about uh, recalls and inspections and things of that nature. So you know, just share what, from your perspective, what are some of the lessons that we can learn from some of these recent examples. Well, I think, John, there actually are an awful lot of lessons that we can learn uh, if we take the time to look for them. Um, and part of the impetus for our discussion topic today was based on a, a recent report in the technical press uh, listing the 10 biggest recalls, medical device recalls of 2017. And one thing that I thought would be interesting to point out to your audience is that 10% of the total number of recalls this year are the so-called class one recalls. These 
uh, as most of your audience is probably familiar, is the most severe type of recall. Uh, FDA characterizes a class one recall as having a reasonable chance that a product, a medical device, will cause serious health problems or possibly even death. Of course, what does reasonable chance mean? That's open to great interpretation. But it's a reminder to the audience that something that you and I have talked about a number of times in the past, and that is uh, that is in many cases, this is high stakes bingo. You know, we are talking about people's lives here. And so uh, we do have an obligation to try to do what we can to try to prevent problems. And um, uh, why don't you, why don't we begin, John, by sharing uh, an example from your world of uh, of your recent situation that you were involved with with the inspection? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting story, and it's not quite to, to recall status yet, but, uh, you know, based on some of the, the intel that I have on this particular situation, it it could lead down that path pretty quickly, actually. And and I, uh, you know, I wish I could say this was a unique scenario, but my uh, the story that I'm about to tell you, I've I've heard and experienced a couple of times, and it kind of started like this. I got a phone call from a company uh, that that said, "Hey, we we have an FDA meeting coming up," and you know, FDA meeting is a pretty benign thing. Well, what what does that mean? And yeah, through the course of the conversation, learned that this company had recently had an FDA inspection. Now, up until this point, they had been on the market with their product for several years. The product had been 510K cleared. And uh, up until that point, they had never had an FDA inspection. But then uh, the FDA came to visit and started asking them some, some really core basic questions like, where is your design history file? Uh, what about your uh, procedures for nonconformances? What about your procedures for complaint handling and, and so on? I mean, it was a long, long laundry list of things. And come to find out that this this meeting that this person had mentioned was um, essentially a visit to the principal's office. They have to go sit down with the compliance director of a district office and explain uh, their action plan and, and what they're going to do about this. And number one on the list in this particular scenario was, this company had no design history file. They have no design controls documented. And, and you know, folks, like I said, this guy, this company, they've been selling this product for for a long time, several years, and it's a little alarming, um, you know, to hear stories like that from time to time. Well, it's a very interesting uh, situation, John, and uh, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't go so far is to say that it was typical or or or, uh, or average, but I have you know similar experiences that I could share as well. Would you characterize the reason for this as simply ignorance or naivete, or what do you think would be the the root cause to use the engineering phrase? Yeah, you know, in talking to this person, I, I think um, you know, you know, of course, I'm trying to get to that root cause. Like how, like for me and. New, it's it's so obvious. Like, okay, quality system regulations, they're they're public, they're publicized, they're readily available. And you know, when you there, there's a process when you just putting together a five ten k submission is a pretty good example. I mean, if you know what goes into a five ten k, and you know, one statement that comes to mind is the truthful and accuracy statement, and and you you understand what that statement even means then the one could assume that hey um 
it's pretty clear FDA expects me to follow regulations, but somewhere along the way, there's some sort of disconnect. And, and um, yeah, I agree. This isn't the majority case for sure, but uh, this may be an extreme example. But I think, I think it was a little bit of ignorance. I think it was a little bit of naivete. I think in some part, the person and uh, that was you know, putting together this 510k submission you know and they i didn't peel back that layer but i could suspect that they might have outsourced that or or had a resource that helped them with that and um, maybe didn't uh dig any deeper maybe didn't dig into uh hey let me see your design history file it doesn't sound like this company had any sort of uh you know audit system in place they didn't really have any sort of effectiveness checks on their quality system so uh, you know maybe ignorance maybe it's naivete i'm not really sure which category it is but regardless um it, it's clear they missed the mark um they well here's my next question understand. john yeah 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 uh, here, here's my next question because my my emphasis not just in our conversation today but overall is not to simply bash people uh you know for their for, sure. for their mistakes but uh as you said at the beginning to learn from them. So I understand from the scenario that you just described, they didn't have the paperwork in place. They didn't have the design history file in, in the systems and so on. But more important to me is the substance. So did they have, and, and you may or may not know this depending on uh, the familiarity with this particular case, did they have the, uh, the, the documentation and maybe some some other format, in other words, in a lab notebook, or did they have systems in place, maybe not in a quality sort of a fashion for dealing with complaints, and, you know, maybe they didn't have something called a corrective action and preventative action, but they had the, the you know, this something else that, that, that does the same thing. Um, did, did they have that kind of information, but just not in the format that uh, that we're used to seeing it and that we're required to have it, or did they have did they not have that information at all? And the reason why yeah. I asked that question, John, is because as, as you and I have also talked about in the past, to me, everything in the design controls and in quality in general is what I would consider you know prudent engineering is common sense. For sure. So if they had that information in some other format, okay, now it's just a matter of taking what they have and converting it to something that's you know more industry standard that's more palatable to FDA if it's something that they don't have at all then to me that's very problematic and to me that's not just a, an issue of perhaps getting a warning letter from the FDA that's an issue of should they really be working in this kind of a business what do you think yeah well I mean I think in this in this particular scenario I mean I had a, a discussion with the engineering team uh, about some of the the challenges or the issues that were identified, and I think in many respects I was encouraged. While they didn't know what uh, what all the terms that FDA cited them for uh, meant and the interpretation of that, I was encouraged that when I asked questions like, uh, "What about your requirements for your product?" and they were just able to rattle off, you know, a whole litany of of different design inputs and, and things that you would consider uh, uh, requirements for the product. So that was encouraging. And then, you know, asking about safety testing and things like that. And they were familiar with uh, uh, IEC 60601 and some of the other 
biocompatibility and some of those things. And they had test reports for those types of things. So there was some uh, encouraging things that were discovered during the conversation. But some of the other things that were on the list, I mean, it's kind of a mix. Some of the other things were um, not having procedures for purchasing. Okay, well, I know they have purchase orders. I know they have suppliers that they're working with. So that was okay. You know, they could tell a story there. Nonconformant didn't really have anything capturing those sorts of things. Kappa and complaints. So I think it was a mix. You know, there were some things that they did have, and and if you know they were uh, aware of or understood. The, the questions that were being asked by the inspector, they might have been able to uh, find evidence, the, the proof that they had those particular things. But then there were just other things, uh, specifically around like complaint handling and CAPA, nonconformance, and internal audit, that they really, uh, they really didn't have anything documented. Fair enough. So, all. so a mix is a good way to characterize it. So, most importantly for our audience, John, uh, what would you suggest that companies do to prevent a pro- problem like this? Well, the, the biggest thing I think that a company could do, well, I mean, of course, they could call you or they could call me and uh, we, we could come in and get them ready. But in all seriousness, I think it's really embraced the spirit of of what you're in the medical device industry. It's just like any other thing that you're doing. I mean, if you're going to play football, it's probably important that you know the rules of the game of football. <laughs> uh, same is the case for med device. If you're going to be in the medical device industry, you have probably should educate yourself and understand what the rules are to be a medical device company. And, and you know, it's not a secret. Uh, it's pretty well known. Uh, it's pretty readily available. Um, you can go to FDA.gov and enter medical devices and pretty quickly find out all the things. I mean, it could be a little overwhelming, granted, but, but you know, get a core basic understanding. I mean, just the QSR uh, for FDA, I mean, it's not ridiculous in its length. Um, so, you know, you should understand every one of those clauses that FDA has defined. You should know how you do that, how you address that. And you should have processes and procedures. And, you know, uh, just there's a lot of information that's available. You've written about it. I've written about it. It's, you know, do your homework. Well, I agree with you, John, and I love the football metaphor. You should certainly know the rules before you you, you get onto the field and you start playing the game. Uh, and by the way, the reason why I asked that question was not to be self-serving. I mean, obviously, as you said, a company professional like you or I, uh, but to illustrate another important point um, that we've talked about before, and that is uh, another of the of the the underlying tenets of the philosophy of the design controls, because my understanding of regulation goes far beyond what the word, what the words say. One of the basic um, tenets of the design controls is to remind us of something that Socrates tried to teach a long, long time ago, and that is the difference. Um, uh, sorry, uh, that is knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know, and most importantly, knowing the difference between the two. So. As John just uh, mentioned, um, if you're new to the medical device industry or you're more on the R&D side and you don't know a lot about the um, quality or the manufacturing side, uh, make sure that either A, you educate yourself, uh, which you could certainly do, um, or B, you know, add somebody to your team who who can help you. Um, uh, You know, to use a, a simple metaphor, John, like you're football metaphor, imagine getting a ticket from a a police officer for driving through a stop sign. 
um, and going to the judge and saying, I'm sorry, Your Honor, but I didn't know that I was supposed to stop when I saw that big red eight-sided sign. Um, Unfortunately, ignorance is not a very good excuse. And going back to what I said earlier about recalls, especially 10% of them being the class one recall, um, that's a problem. So maybe making this uh, even more um, uh, pragmatic for our audience, John, do you have any suggestions? Obviously, there's a lot of things that are uh, required in the regulatory uh, environment uh, and in the quality environment in terms of the, you mentioned the QSR and so on. But is should our goal as a company or indeed even as an industry to have a quality system that meets those requirements, is, is, is making those um, uh, meeting those quality requirements enough. And to, to lead us into this part of our discussion, I thought I could share with you a quick uh, recent example that I have been involved oh, sure. with. Uh, uh, a, 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 a medical device software company came to me and they basically said, um, we have this software product, this medical device that we've developed. It's all basically done. Now we're looking for somebody to do the V&V testing on it. And if somebody okay. came to you in a situation like that, John, would that be um, concerning at all to you that they've done all of the development and now they're they're looking to do the verification and validation? Well, uh, let me ask a question. Um, they're not to market with this software yet. That's correct. Okay. Well, I, it's it's an interesting scenario for sure. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, the way, and, and it's you know maybe it's stylistic, but the way I have always approached product development is is there's some some iteration that's involved to that, um, and, you know, almost to the point where as I'm developing that software, you know, granted it may not be the formal V and V activities, but I have a pretty good idea of what my product is going to do based on just the definition of of requirements and the things that I've done. Now, the challenge with this particular scenario is um, if I understand it correctly, is that, you know, they, they, they said, you know, we're done, we're frozen and we're, 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 we've done everything we're going to do. And now we're going to throw it over the wall to somebody else from VMV standpoint. I mean, I guess technically speaking, it's, you you could take that strategy for sure, but um, it's a lot of risk to put, you know that that high uh, level of activity, that that important activity of V and into well, the I agree with you, John. There, there is the hands a tre- of another person. There, there is a tremendous amount of risk. And once again, I love the the metaphor that you just used. I've used it myself of throwing it over the wall, so to speak. Um, but the part of the reason why I share that scenario is because, from a quality or a regulatory perspective, that is a perfectly valid approach. There's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with it. But to me, it's tremendously problematic. It makes For me sure. question whether or not, you know, I would characterize this actually as a, as a very basic mistake, in fact, because it makes me question whether or not they really know what they're doing. Never mind, you mentioned risk. Risk, as we've talked about, has many different connotations. Never mind quality risk. We're talking about business risk here. Uh, if their product is, quote unquote, fully developed, and in the process of now doing their their V and V testing, um, yeah. they discover that there's a problem or something. Now you're talking about having most likely to do engineering changes, design changes, 
is granted because this is a software product, perhaps uh, the nature of software, it tends to be easier to iterate, you know, to change a line of code, for example, instead of, you know, changing material or changing the, you know, a, a um, uh, the shape of a medical device or something like that. But nonetheless, it really makes me question whether or not they, they have a, a basic understanding of the of the engineering concepts that are involved here. Um, yeah, I agree. So, I totally agree. I mean, the other thing, sorry, Michael, I was just going to say that as you were sharing that, those, those other details, I was just thinking, you know, that it's like there's a, there's a large opportunity for, for that type of scenario where a company develops and designs this product and then says it's done and, and throws it to some other firm to do VMV. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of uh, gaps there. I mean, just think about the knowledge, right? You know, now you got this other resource who there's no way that they can have the knowledge and the understanding that went into developing that software uh, product. And and now, you know, they're supposed to be putting this through the rigors of BMV, you know, and, and verification is demonstrating that you designed the product correctly and validation is design is determining that you de- develop the correct product. And, and that's a, that's a big, that's a tall order. Well, it is a tall order, John. I agree with you. And to me, um, as an engineer, I like to, to think about root cause. And in engineering, root cause is a phrase that we often hear people talk about, but rarely ever do I get, uh, do I hear people actually get to anything close to what I consider to be the root cause. Usually they're just skimming the surface. Usually they're just putting, you know, band-aids on, on a problem. Um, to me, oftentimes the root cause is the thing between the people's ears or or the lack thereof <laughs> it's, the, yeah. it's the thinking and in this particular case i think the root cause it's illustrative illustrative of um something that i think is far too common in our industry and that is the tick box on a form approach yeah we've developed sure. the device tick it's done now we have to do vnv testing tick it's done and yeah again this might sound harsh to some people but I really believe, for a variety of reasons, uh, anybody that takes that approach to this, you know, to this field, and because this is high stakes bingo, think about what we talked about at the beginning with the recalls. They, they perhaps should not be working in this business. We need to take a more holistic approach. We need to be thinking about everything, including V and V testing uh, throughout the process, not just as a as a tick box, especially at the end. So as yeah. we approach the end of our discussion, I'd like to maybe use this opportunity to talk about a few other best practices, anything that you might recommend, John, to the audience, either that is required in the regulation or perhaps that's not required in the regulation um, to to help companies kind of learn and uh, to avoid uh, problems. I have several examples, but uh, anything you can you can think of? Well, just just maybe a couple of pragmatic tips that that companies I think you really should think about. I mean, we you you and I have talked about quality and regulatory uh, several times on on the Global Medical Device Podcast, and you know, and, and just even a, the last example you mentioned about you know checking a box on a form, so to speak. And I think first is if if you're looking at a quality management system as as a checkbox activity, something you got to do because the regulations uh, say so, then um, then you kind of miss the point. I mean, you should design a quality management system to 
uh, address your business needs, frankly. I mean, if you read the QSR and you understand what each of these things says, you know, it's just good business, folks. Uh, uh, that's the first thing. And, and the second thing, you know, you may not know how and what and where uh, to, to focus uh, your time, effort, and energy, or you, maybe you don't even understand uh, some of FDA's interpretation about things. Because, you, you know, if, if you're new to this and you're reading the QSR for the first time, I could see where it might be a little ambiguous, but there's a really good resource. I mean, you can go read uh, warning letters that FDA publishes because they're in the public domain. You can read through those, and and FDA usually provides pretty good commentary whenever they cite a company for a particular issue. They explain, you know, what it is that they were looking for, what they didn't find, and that sort of thing. So. You know, use that to your advantage. Read and learn what the expectations are. I think that's terrific advice, John. I would like to um, just offer a few additional suggestions. And one, uh, uh, which was actually not on my list, but I think I'm going to add it to my list. It's something that you brought up earlier, uh, and that is know the rules. Um, it sounds to me, you know, obvious. No, no, you know, before you get onto the football uh uh, field, know the rules. Before you get behind the wheel and drive the car, know the rules. You know, the medical device business is, is, is no different. So know the rules. That to me is a statement of the obvious, but it's clear from your example. Then there are others that some people don't. Yeah. Um, but a few, a few others. Uh, first of all, um, I learned a long time ago not to make the assumption, as many people do, and including, you know, FDA makes this assumption as well, that if you have a quality system in place and it meets the regulatory requirements that it works. I do not make that assumption. I see a lot of systems in place that meet the regulatory requirements that don't necessarily work or they don't work as well as maybe some people think that they work. So why assume that if you have that if your QMS meets the regulatory requirements or the quality requirements that it's working? Um, assess the efficacy of your system. You know, John, we're, we're all used to yeah. measuring the efficacy of our medical device, but most people are not used to thinking about measuring the efficacy of your systems, including your QMS. How do you know that it's working? Probably the way that most people demonstrate this is with an audit. Well, audits are, a gr are great uh, uh, if they're done properly, but in my opinion, this is kind of like the concept of an independent reviewer and the design control. Roles. If you have mm -hmm. somebody come in and say, "Oh, you're all doing a wonderful job," you know, let's have a parade and you know, <laughs> wave the flag. You know, you may have met that regulatory requirement, but you certainly, in terms of the letter of the law, but you have certainly not met the the spirit of the law. You need to have somebody come in and be literally brutal, you know, and and and, and ask the questions that maybe perhaps other people in your organization don't want to ask. Um, so, uh, so, so, so make sure that you have, a, uh, you know, an auditor or an independent reviewer who's going to do that. And I can tell you, John, in my experience, when I do this with companies, um, and I spend some of my time doing this with companies, as you know, um, I want essentially an ironclad consulting agreement. In other words, no matter what I say to the company, they're going to pay me because if you you don't do that, then, um, you know, if you have somebody come in and say, oh, you're all doing a wonderful job, uh, I don't think you, you, have, uh, you have met that, in, in a, uh, that, that spirit of the law, so to speak. Before, 
moving on to my other two comments or, or, or suggestions. Any any perspective from your side, John? What do you think in terms of either the the mock audit or the the inspector or even the concept of the independent reviewer? What do you think yeah. people should be looking for? Well, yeah, and, and um, you know, I was chuckling. Uh, about the parade, if your auditor tells you everything is wonderful, let's let's throw a parade. I mean, if your if your auditor is is coming back and, and and saying to you that yeah things look pretty good, you know, fire that person because <laughs> you want the, <laughs> you want that internal auditor, the independent reviewer uh, that that's coming in. You want them to to beat you up and rip you apart. You want you want friendly uh, auditors. You know, the people that that are kind of uh. Uh, either a part of your team or that you've invited in, you want them to to provide you with the toughest, most rigorous, most thorough audit uh, that you'll ever go through. You know, the that's period. That's that's what you want. You want that to be the toughest thing that you do. You don't want the FDA inspection or the ISO audit to be tougher than your own internal auditing efforts. Well, I agree, uh, and. and uh... Um, uh, uh, I, I would take it even a step further. Um, I would like to think, well, first of all, I, I, perhaps I, I don't want this to be interpreted as being arrogant, but I will sometimes say uh, somewhat facetiously in comp- to companies that if they have me come in and uh, do a mock audit or to do an independent review, if they can get get past me, they can you know get past the FDA. <laughs> <laughs> No, but 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 you and I are saying saying the same thing there, and reflecting back to your example that you shared of the company that didn't have the the documentation, the design history file, and so on. I would like to think um, that a good auditor, and just like FDA reviewers, there are a lot of them, but not all of them are equally as good. Um, I would like to think that a good auditor, if they walked into a situation where that you described earlier, where a company didn't have that paperwork in place. Rather than starting, you know, whipping out the, uh, the the notepad, or I guess nowadays the, you know, the the tablet, and start, you know, 483, this, that, and the other thing, look a little, little bit past that. Do they have the information? Uh, yeah, maybe sure. in some other form, because that's something that can be then corrected. On the other hand, if they didn't have that information at all, uh, I wouldn't have this power as an auditor. But if they're making, for example, a class three device. Uh, and this probably wouldn't happen with a PMA device, but if it did, I would be closing their doors today. Um, you know, that's just uh, that, that, that's just not good. Uh, one another suggestion I have made to a number of companies over the years in terms of measuring the efficacy of your quality systems is to purposely inject a problem somewhere in your system in order to determine if your system will will detect it. This is something that's not required by the regulation. Perhaps it should be, uh, and I think personally it's probably a good idea to, to consider that. Uh, some companies that I work with, John, have done that. Many have not. Any, any guess as to why a lot of them don't want to do that? Well, I uh, well, sometimes I think people are afraid of what they're going to find out, to be quite honest that's with exactly you, That's exactly right. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> You're right. First of all, it's not required. They don't have to do it. But more importantly, if you inject a problem into your system and your system does not detect it, now what have you done? Now you have now totally invalidated your entire QMS system. And that's not a good situation to be in. Just real quick, because I know we have to wrap this up, a couple of other uh, recommendations. Um, You know, a theme here, learn from other people's mistakes. In other words, there's constant reports 
reports of uh, in the in the literature and elsewhere of, um, of of warning letters and recalls and so on from time to time and maybe add this into your quality system as well maybe on a quarterly basis scour through what's publicly available from other companies never mind just competitive companies but look at the medical device industry across the board and ask the question if you could you have a similar problem uh, in your organization and if yes mm -hmm. what measures have you done to, have you taken to try to prevent it uh, or if it did happen what measures have you taken to try to mitigate the fallout um, History does repeat itself over and over again, and uh, you know those who are not familiar with their history, uh, unfortunately, are doomed to repeat it. Um, and from a product liability perspective, you know so many of the people that we work with, John, are worried about um, FDA or similar organizations around the world. Well, let me tell you, a growing part of my business is providing, uh, working as an expert uh, 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 testimony for medical device. Um, uh, product liability cases. And for a company, I'm not an attorney, nor do I play one on TV, but one thing I've learned in dealing with product liability attorneys is just meeting the regulatory requirements by FDA or the quality requirements by FDA is not enough when it comes to product liability. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's something I've said before. When a company gets a 510K or a PMA or becomes a uh, a manufacturing inspection, that's the academic equivalent of being a C student. That just means that you're mm -hmm. passing. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily doing a job, uh, um, uh, a good job. And the very last thing uh, is to take a holistic approach. Um, oftentimes when I see companies um, that, you know, they, they look at individual problems one at a time. They look at individual complaints. They even look at individual kappas one at a time, and they try to address those problems one at a time. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's certainly the first step. But what I would like to see, and again, this is not in the uh, in the QMS requirements, perhaps it should be, but on some periodic basis, whether it's once a year, once a quarter, perhaps even once a month, depending on the, the technology that you're involved with, take a more holistic approach and take a look at all sure. of your complaints and all of your kappas and try to look for similarities perhaps that you didn't see when you look at them individually, kind of like trying to see the forest through the trees. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, this is not rocket science. This is not, you know, you shouldn't have to have a PhD in biomedical engineering to, to come up with some of these. You know, most of this to me is is common sense, but unfortunately common sense is not as, as common as, uh, <laughs> as you and I might, might like it to be. So those are just a few suggestions. Of course, there are many, many others. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but those are just a few, and you know, a little you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of, of cure. Something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, folks, uh, I'm going to wrap this up by saying, you know, there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from FDA inspections, and you don't have to wait for your turn to learn these lessons. As Mike and I both have shared. The there's a ton of information that that's readily available for you, and I know you know if you know you get go through that inspection and it didn't go so well, you can certainly get a hold of a person such as Mike or myself to to help navigate. But you know, I I, I know I speak for Mike. Uh, we'd rather you call us before so that we can make sure that you know you've got the proper systems in place and the preparation necessary. 
necessary so that that FDA inspection and any other audits, quality system audits can go as smooth as possible. So do reach out to us. And the good news on the, the story that I mentioned a moment ago, Mike, you know, that person did contact us and, you know, we are working with him at greenlight.guru. And, you know, I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to get him through his challenges because that's one of the things that we do at greenlight.guru, whether you, uh, I've done the first time or or many times before. I mean, we help companies with their quality management system. We help them understand what design controls are. And we have a software platform that, that makes that a little bit simpler as well. So folks, if you're uh, wondering how you, you might set up your quality management system and how to prepare for these types of events in your medical device journey, feel free to give us a call or contact at greenlight.guru and we'd be happy to have a conversation with you. So let me thank my guest, Mike Drews, president of Vascular Sciences. And uh, once again, this has been the Global Medical Device Podcast.